The church of the Thessalonians is one that had a very prominent place in the heart of the apostle Paul. It was a special church to him. We see that in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they were journeying to this city because they were preaching and teaching. And while they were teaching in this city, many of that city came to Christ. It is believed that this is the first epistle that was written by the Apostle Paul. And as such, it was a church and it was an area that had a great interest and held a special place of affection in the heart of the great Apostle. Therefore, in coming to write this letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul is writing to encourage the believers. He is seeking to spur them on in their faith. He is wanting to encourage them in many different aspects. If you see there, verse number 2 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul encourages them by reminding them that he is praying for them. He says that he always makes mention of them in his prayers. Verse number 3, Paul encourages them by commending their labors in the Lord. He gives them three things. He says that he remembers their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another commendation, another encouragement that Paul had for this church. In verse 4, he encourages them by reminding them that they've been chosen from before the foundation of the world. Verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And then in verse number 8, he encourages them in their faithfulness, not only in deed, not only in showing forth the word of God, but in preaching as well. They had testimonies, testimonies to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And therefore, in verse 8, it says there that they did not need to speak anything. Their lives spoke for themselves, but even yet they still sounded forth the word of God. And I believe that it's true that whoever your minister is will have an effect on you as a Christian. Your views on certain things. For me, back in Balamani, it was Mr. Park's missionary zeal and his passion for the Great Commission. That was something that rubbed off on me as a member. Seeing his passion and a desire to fulfill Christ's command to go into the world, to all the world and preach the gospel, it gave me an increased hunger to, to, to fulfill that duty. And I believe that this is what happened in the church of Thessalonica. Paul deals extensively in his two letters with one major theme. And that's Jesus Christ. And very specifically in his two letters he deals with the return of Jesus Christ. How he has not yet returned and therefore they were to work with that in mind. And this is the kind of mindset that he would have rubbed off on the church at Thessalonica. Now we come to verse number 10. And verse number 10 is really where I want to, to focus in on this morning. Read it with me again, please. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I believe here that we see Paul's encouragement to the believers to live in light of the risen Lord. And that is the title that I would like to take this morning. Live in light of the risen Lord. First of all, I want you to consider his redemption. Consider his redemption because we're going to work backwards here through this verse because at the very end of the verse it says, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Which delivered us from the wrath to come. If I was to ask you this morning, what do you believe the main theme of the Bible is? I wonder what your answer would be. 
Would you perhaps say that it's all about the love of God? Would you perhaps say the theme of the Bible is clear? It's forgiveness. We see it right throughout the Bible. I wonder, would you say grace? That's the main thing. Grace to the human race. What would your answer be to that question? Well, I believe that from the scriptures we can see from Genesis right through to Revelation, there is one great unifying theme. It's one word, redemption. Redemption. The word redemption, it means the act of regaining or gaining possession of something through the payment of a price. And for those saved in here this morning, that is you. You are one who has been redeemed. Christ has paid the price for you to be bought back from your sin, bought back from the clutches of the devil, and brought into union with Jesus Christ, into the family and the fold of God. And therefore, in each book of the Bible, we see this great theme being built upon, layer by layer, redemption throughout the scriptures. Christ has paid the price for you, child of God, to be made his own. Where was that price paid? It was paid with his blood on the cross of Calvary so that we might be brought back to God, be made a peculiar people unto him. It's the very reason why he came. Matthew 1 verse 21, it says there that he was to be called Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. He saves us from sin and the wages of that sin, which is eternal wrath and hell, eternal torment in that awful place called hell. Christ delivered us from this wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9. It says, Therefore God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessed thought, child of God, for you this morning. Take it to heart. Mull over this thought that you are no longer under wrath. You are no longer under condemnation. As we sang there in that hymn, that wonderful hymn, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all that in him is mine. You've been redeemed from God's wrath. And we see here that this verse alludes to Jesus Christ as our deliverer. It says that he hath delivered us. And what is it that he has delivered us from? Well, not to state the obvious, but what the verse says. He has delivered us from the wrath to come delivered us from punishment that was due to us for our sin. He bore that wrath in our place on the cross. We think of that hymn, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Our sin was placed on Christ at the cross. He bore our wrath. Romans chapter 5 and verses 9 through to 10 it says there, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only did the death of Christ pay the penalty of our sin, but his perfect life gives us a perfect righteousness. It gives us merit before the Lord now, because we stand on the merits of Jesus Christ. And therefore I ask the question to you this morning, child of God, do you live with this in mind? Do we live considering the redemption that Christ has purchased for us? 
Yes, I'm sure that we have heard it time and time again. We hear it probably week in, week out, at least once on a Sunday. We hear about Jesus Christ dying for our sin, paying for our redemption. We have heard it time and time again, but I wonder, has familiarity bred contempt in your life? Not only has Christ delivered us from the wrath to come, but if you're in Christ today, he has delivered you from an empty life, a life without meaning, a void life. Because without Christ, we have nothing in this life. And therefore, it's vital that we understand the doctrine of redemption. It's vital that we live with its glory, with its majesty in view. It is such a key doctrine for our lives as believers. Don't be scared of that word doctrine. All it means is teaching. Teaching about God, teaching about Christ. I want you to, to perhaps picture an iceberg in your mind. I'm sure that you've all seen pictures of it. You've all heard about it, especially from the Titanic. It made icebergs famous. And I'm sure that you've all seen the pictures of icebergs. You know, those ones that cut the iceberg in half. You see what's above the water, and then you see what's below the water. And an iceberg is quite big on the top, on the surface. But once you get underneath the water, it is so much larger. At times, it can be three times the size of what you see above the water's surface. And this is what you as a Christian are to be like. You're to understand doctrine. You're to understand it deep within your heart. To have a grasp on the teachings of the scriptures. So that you can be steadied by it throughout your life. So that it will ground you as you're commanded to be in Galatians. To be grounded in Christ. Grounded in his teaching and grounded in his faith. And there was a, a song that I was listening to on my way down. And the first two verses, they say this here. Scenes of mountain grandeur, creation's majesty, the glory of a sunrise shining over me. But the single greatest wonder my soul has ever seen is the Lamb of God on Calvary. Blazing stars that reach me from distant galaxies the oceans, they are speaking magnificence so deep. But the single greatest wonder my soul has ever seen is the Lamb of God on Calvary. Is that true for your life, believer? We see the grandeur of God's creation. We see the glory that God has ordained in the sun, moon, and stars. People dedicate their lives to show us more of this glory. But the greatest wonder our souls have ever seen, should ever see, is the Lamb of God on Calvary. I wonder, child of God, do you have a view of redemption like that? That the creation of God, it is nothing compared to the glory of Christ on the cross for you, where he bore your sin away. A verse that sums up our redemption is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. It says, therefore, Christ hath also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. And this verse, it sums up our redemption well, because here we see a parallel between Christ and his people. Christ was God incarnate. He became man so that he could die in the flesh. And he was raised to life, quickened by the Spirit. And we who are dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, we are quickened, that is, we are made alive by the Holy Spirit. 
Since we are united to Christ, when Christ died, we died in him. And now because Christ lives, we also, as his children, live in him. And Lee Strobel, he said that Jesus didn't come into the world to make bad people good. He came into this world to make dead people live. And that is a fact. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Because if you're in your sin this morning, my friend, then the Bible says that you're dead. Spiritually speaking, dead in sin. And only Jesus Christ can quicken you, can bring you back to life in him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. It says there, Wherefore we, all, we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Paul is still writing to the church of Thessalonica. And this verse, it really struck me while reading it. That our God would count you worthy of this calling. Are we walking worthy today of Christ? Let me make it more personal to you, child of God. Today, are you walking worthy of Jesus Christ? I have to admit that there are too many times in my life when this could not be said of me, that I am not walking worthy of Christ's redemption. And therefore, let each and every one of us examine our lives. Are we walking worthy of the price that Christ has paid for us? Are we walking worthy of the redemption that Christ has given to us? Let us examine ourselves to ensure that we are walking worthy and living in light of the redemption of Christ. So we've considered his redemption, the fact that he has delivered us from the wrath to come. But secondly, consider his resurrection. Because here we see in the very middle of the verse, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. We've considered the redemption that Christ has purchased for us. And let me just state at the beginning of this point that the cross would not have had any triumph if it hadn't have been for the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. Many people are martyrs for their faith. Many people lay down their lives for their faith. But only Christ had the power to take up his life again. And the fact that he is risen, the fact that he now sits at the right hand of God the Father is proof that God was pleased with his sacrifice. Now the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a denominational issue. It's not a point of debate. It's not something where we can differ with other Christians on it. It is a matter of massive significance. And that is why Paul deals with it so extensively in 1 Corinthians 15. Please turn there for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15 and the verse 14. Read with me this verse. First Corinthians 15. In verse 14, and then we'll jump down to verse 17. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Down to verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Let me tell you, child of God, everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Our redemption our forgiveness, our reconciliation back to God, it all hinges on the resurrection of Christ. 
That is why Paul deals so extensively with this doctrine in this chapter. He wants to ensure that the believers at Corinth are left in no doubt as to the importance of this doctrine. The significance of a resurrected Christ. Romans 4 verse 25 it says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Your justification, your standing before God, child of God this morning. It rests on the resurrection of Christ. And as Paul said there in Corinthians, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. If Christ was not raised, if Christ is not sitting at the right hand of God the Father today, then what are we doing here? But we thank God that he is. He is risen, he is ascended. And the resurrection of Christ that is one of the most attacked doctrines. Because some people they believe that if they can get this doctrine. If they can find a way to twist it and contort it. If they can disprove the resurrection of Christ. Then they've disproved the entire Christian religion. I mentioned Lee Strobel in a previous point. He was an American journalist. Who was vehemently opposed to Christianity. And he began to try and disprove the Christian faith. He took that task upon himself to try and disprove Christianity and all that it teaches. Where do you think he began? He asked around, he asked his questions, where is the best place to start if I want to disprove Christianity? And the answer was given to him, attack the resurrection. Yet the evidence that Strobel found as he began to compile his arguments against the resurrection, the evidence was overwhelming and he could only come to one conclusion. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That he was indeed the son of God. And today, Strobel is a well-respected Christian author. His book, The Case for Christ, it's a wonderful read. I would recommend it to you. In that book, he stated on the resurrection, he stated this. The resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' divine identity and his inspired teaching. It is the proof of his triumph over sin and death. It is the foreshadowing of the resurrection of his followers. In the basis of Christian hope, it is the miracle of all miracles. What a transformation was shown in this man's life. He went from attacking the Christian faith, seeking to disprove it all, to becoming a chief proponent of the resurrection of Christ. And Paul, he finishes off that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. That chapter where he deals with the resurrection with verse number 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know your labor is not in vain. That's the whole context of that verse. He is dealing up to that point about the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, therefore... Because of everything that I have just stated. Because Christ is alive. Because he is risen today. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord. And therefore I wonder is that you today? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? Because Christ is risen. Has the resurrection of Jesus Christ given you a zeal and a passion for God's work to go and tell everyone that you can, everyone that you come into contact with, Jesus Christ is risen and he is our Lord. Romans 8 verse 34, it teaches us there, who is he that condemneth? 
It is Christ that died, yea, rather it is that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Believer, let me address you specifically this evening or this morning. I wonder, are you today in a state of despond? Do you feel the weight of the world? Do you feel the, feel the weight of everything that is happening around you in your life, circumstances? Are you left despondent today? Have you lost out recently with the Lord? Perhaps you feel like you haven't felt the presence of the Lord in a while. Then take the heart in considering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because this verse it teaches us in Romans 8 verse 34 that today because Christ is risen, because he has ascended into heaven, he is praying for you. You are on the mind of the very Son of God today. Even on your very worst day as a Christian, even on those days that you struggle with sin, even on those days that you perhaps lose the battle with sin, it's a wonderful fact. Jesus still loves you. Does this not break us? What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. He still loves you and he still intercedes for you. Praise on your behalf. He is still your resurrected Savior. Are you living in light of that today? In light of the risen Lord? Lastly, we've considered his redemption. We've considered his resurrection. Now we're going to go to the very start of the verse. We want to consider his return. To wait for his son from heaven. As I said, we've been working backwards through this verse and now we come to the initial part of verse 10. We are to wait for Christ. Now interestingly, this word wait that we read here, it's a unique one in the New Testament. While there are many different, different times that the New Testament speaks about waiting and how we are to wait, this word here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, it is the only time that this Greek word appears in the New Testament. It means not only to wait, but to wait with expectancy, to wait with patience, to wait with trust, and to wait with joy. And are you waiting with that today? Are you expecting that the Lord may come at any moment? Are you being patient in awaiting his return? We read those words and we hear those words many times. Revelation 22 verse 20. He that testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. We love to pray over these words, but are we being patient and waiting for the Lord to return? Are we waiting here below on earth with joy, knowing what lies ahead of us? Excited for that day when the Lord comes to return to call his people home. This word, Robertson, he spoke of it in his word studies. And he said that it is in the present infinitive, so we are to wait and keep on waiting. This exercise of waiting for Christ is to be a constant in the life of the child of God. And therefore I ask this morning, is it the case in your life? Are you waiting for the Savior? Are you waiting with patience? Are you waiting with expectancy? And are you waiting with great joy that one day Christ will return to call you home to be with him?
We've mentioned before 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11. But consider the words of the verse just previous. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe in that day. This verse, it shows forth what a wonderful occasion that will be when the Lord returns. He will be admired by all the saints on that day. He will be admired in person because the people of God will finally see their Savior. Their faith will become sight. And as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are you waiting in expectancy today? Jesus Christ is coming. The subject of the Lord's return, while it can divide the church at large, differing large, differing views on how the Lord will return, when the Lord will return, I can promise you I'm not getting into it this morning because there are too many people that know too much more than I do and I make a fool of myself. But Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said that the great doctrine of the, of the second advent has in a sense fallen into disrepute because of this tendency on the part of some to become more interested in how and the when of the second coming of Christ rather than the fact of the second coming. It is a great doctrine that should unite the church in excitement, in anticipation of the Lord's return, but sadly too many get caught up in the fine details, those things which have not been fully revealed to us. I'm not saying that it's bad to study these things, it is good to study these things, but are we too bogged down in all of these things to really see the excitement, the anticipation that one day Jesus Christ is returning. Philippians 3 verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look to the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. That word conversation, it means citizens. Therefore, our citizenship is in heaven. We look forward in eagerness to that day when he comes to bring us to the heavenly city where we as his children belong. Well, I believe it's good for us to contemplate the Lord's return. It is good to think of that day that he will come back to bring his people home. Let us not forget that it will usher in that eternity. That eternity of perfect peace for the believer, but also of eternal damnation for the sinner. And it's a thought, in my mind, that should give us more motivation to ensure that we are doing everything that we can to win the lost for Christ, to win our family, to win our children, to win our parents, to win our siblings for Jesus Christ. To tell a dying world that Christ will one day return to judge the world. Therefore, be ye ready. Are you waiting for the Lord's return today? Are you waiting with expectancy? Are you waiting with hope, with joy, with patience? All of these things. Second Peter 3 verse 17 says there, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Is this our attitude? In considering the return of Christ, that we are seeking to be without spot, for that time that he comes again. I want to close just with a quote. Please take it to heart. And everything that we have considered today. 
the redemption that Jesus Christ has purchased for us as his children, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he now has ascended into heaven, living ever to make intercession for us, and the great return of Christ one day when he comes to bring us home to be with him. In all of these things, consider what George Mueller said. When the day of recompense comes, our only regret will be that we have done so little for him, not that we have done too much. Our only regret will be that we have done so little for him, not that we have done too much. Child of God, are you living in light of the risen Lord today? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ has delivered us from the wrath to come. We thank you that he has delivered us from an empty, vain, and meaningless life. We thank you, Lord, that today he is ascended, praying for us in heaven, perfecting our prayers before your throne. And we thank you that one day he will return to judge the world and also to bring his people home. And therefore I ask, Lord, help me to live in light of these truths. Help each and every one listening today to live in light of the risen Savior and to work with those things in mind that Christ has redeemed us, that Christ is risen today and that he will one day return. And therefore, we are to preach the gospel as dying men to dying men around us. Lord, I pray, write thy word upon our heart and help us to be faithful to thee. We ask in Jesus' precious name.